Welcome everyone to this podcast of the International Knowledge Hub Against Plastic Pollution. We have today the honor and pleasure to talk with Richard H. Thompson and Christina Ferguson. Richard is a co-author of the 2021 FAO report titled Assessment of Agricultural Plastics and Their Sustainability, a Call for Action. Christina also in 2021 co-wrote the UNEP and Grid Arndal's working paper on plastics and agricultural sources and impacts. Efficient and reliable agriculture is central for food security. Production systems based on the use of plastics such as mulching films, micro-irrigation systems, greenhouses, plastic silage are emerging as a means to achieve this goal by increasing yields and improving crop preservation. However, they can also cause soil pollution and produce large amounts of waste. Scientific evidence shows that farm soils can be heavily contaminated by microplastics. Is soil plastic pollution an unavoidable consequence of new practices that were originally introduced to increase agricultural sustainability and efficiency? Richard, not everyone will know about plastic products used in agriculture. Could you give a brief overview of what they are and why they are used? Okay, well, plastics started to be used in agriculture in the 1950s, and they're use has grown exponentially in the last 20 years or so. And the, re the report that we wrote at, at FAO in 2021 uh, identified that about 12 and a half million tons are used every year, and that all becomes waste. About 10 million tons comes from terrestrial agriculture and 2 million tons from fisheries. Um, that represents about 3.5% of the global plastic production. Uh, so it sounds potentially small, but given that um, plastics used in agriculture are put out into the environment and exposed, basically put in harm's way, it is an issue that uh, needs, needs addressing. So uh, what are they? So the typical products would be durable products like um, greenhouse films, uh, protection nets, irrigation pipes, that sort of thing. Uh, there will be short-term use materials like mulching films, seedling bags, um, seedling pots, um, those sorts of things. And also specialist products like um, controlled release fertilizer. So that's a fertilizer with a polymer coating around it. And then finally, containers that are used for agricultural inputs. Um, why are they used? Um, well, farmers perceive them to be convenient. Uh, to use and providing economic benefits to their to their farms, so uh, greenhouses uh, protect the crops. They diffuse light. They can help crops grow. Um, so you get good quality crops. And being a protected environment, they can extend the season. So farms are able to grow larger quantities of crops from their from their from their farms. Uh, mulching films uh, combined with drip irrigation can improve water usage, and with the with the ground covered with a with a plastic mulch, it suppresses weeds and avoids the the, the need for using uh, herbicides. Uh, and that's one of the reasons why they're very popular with organic agriculture. So organic agriculture would tend to use more plastic products and less pesticides than perhaps conventional pesticide, uh, uh, conventional agriculture. Um, with climate change, many farmers are struggling to farm their traditional lands. 
and uh, they perceive that potentially plastic products, um, protected agriculture, improved uh, irrigation can uh, help them continue to farm those lands productively when they would be prevented using uh, their traditional methods. So that's why they're used. Yeah, thank you. So that explains why they're used, but what about their potential downsides? Yeah, there's always uh, that story to a good story, isn't there? So the problem with most of the plastic in agriculture is that it's put on the soil intentionally because it's out there, it gets contaminated, it gets wear and tear, and it makes microplastic, it can be fibers from nets, everything basically ends up in the soil and often accumulates because it doesn't disappear as fast as we use it. And there's also the tunnels that are not necessarily that much in touch with the with the soil. There is nets that we put on, on fruit trees. All of these things, they, they have a certain lifespan and then they start to become brittle. And when they become brittle in use, they'll fall on the ground and thereby contaminate. Then there's also issues with... So most of these plastic are made by fossil fuel. That's an issue as well. There's chemicals in them. They will deteriorate and come into the ground. And it's not necessarily very sustainable, but of course they have good sides as well. Then there's single use. There's also something that is is not so good. Um, and we also come into the area of, of bio biodegradable plastic that is now becoming on the market, which then can add a whole new problem uh, because being biodegradable doesn't necessarily mean that they biodegrade in any environment. For example, in Norway, it's too cold. Um, so they can also accumulate in the ground, plus they also allow to be plowed down into the ground. I think and uh, some of the products themselves are... Uh, at the end of life, they're actually very difficult to to deal with. That's so, as Christine was saying, you know, mulching films are put on the ground, and uh, at the end of the season, when they're pulled up, um, it's often difficult to pull them up. Um, so they break, and the material is left in the ground. But also, they get heavily contaminated with soil, moisture, and plant residues, and uh, so the plastic uh, is is highly contaminated. And um, I think, Christina, in your report, you identified that about two-thirds of the uh, the weight of the, the plastic mulch... Especially mulch, 200% extra weight. So it might weigh 50 kilo when you put mm -hmm. it out, but then you add the plant residue, the soil, any kind of contamination when you roll it back in. And then recycling it can be an issue. It mm -hmm. needs a special facility. It needs to be washed and cleaned and put into the right place. Yeah. It can also contain contaminants like uh, herbicides, pesticides, mm. maybe a little fertilizer as well that hasn't been used. So even though, as Richard said, we can reduce the level of use of, of fertilizer, there will still be use of fertilizer and also the pesticides, as you said. Mm. Um, so in your report, you do focus on other sources of plastic pollution in agriculture? As well we do, yes. Yeah. So, so we have... We have the polymer-colored seeds that goes in there. We also have the um, 
polymer-covered fertilizer, which is which is sort of like a good thing because um, it can then... Well, the reason why you do it is, is you can spray fertilizer out in one go and then the polymer coating makes it release its fertilizer slowly. So you don't have to go out two or three times with your tractor and use uh, fuel to go on the fields. So, so it is an advantage, but that polymer will remain and something will happen to it, which we do not necessarily know yet. There's another large thing that also comes into play, which is sewage lodge, which comes in from the wastewater treatment. So all the wastewater that we as humans produce, uh, it goes through a whole process of, um, of cleaning. And in that process, we have a water part and a solid part. And within the solid part, most of the microplastic remains. And we really would like to use this product because it is a fertilizer and it's also an organic, has an organic component, which the scient- uh, synthetic fertilizer doesn't have. So it's a really interesting project product, but we get microplastic, some pathogens and, and maybe some heavy metal out on the fields. And that is a big issue. And that has been going on for many years now, and you see an accumulation of microplastic within the soil. And yep. this is one of the major components so far, uh, research-wise. Thank you so much. Yeah. Yeah. And as we all know, the international community are in the middle of negotiations and consultations for the new legally binding instrument on plastic pollution and FAO's voluntary code of conduct on the sustainable use of plastics in agriculture. What measures could they include to support policymakers and balance these benefits and trade-offs? Okay. Before coming to that, let me just give a little background on that. So, Christina... Uh, Christina's report and the FAO report were published at the end of 21. Uh, we can't... The UNEP report. <laughs> uh, okay, the, the uh, UNEP report. Um, we can't claim pre- credit for it, but in the following year in February, the United Nations Environmental Assembly agreed the resolution to establish the uh, international legally binding uh, instrument on plastic pollution and started the negotiation phase. Um, the next meeting of the international uh, negoti- intergovernmental negotiating committee, uh, the third meeting, starts next month in Kenya and they will be reviewing the um, zero draft of the instrument that was that was published a couple of months ago. Um, simultaneously, in the same year, in 2022, in July, um, FAO members agreed to uh, establish a voluntary code of conduct on the sustainable use of plastics. Um, and for FAO to support the Intergovernmental Negotiating Committee um, for the International Legally Binding Instrument to ensure that the uh, interests of the agricultural sector were appropriately addressed in in the treaty. So those things are happening and uh, FAO are doing the consultation for the zero draft of the code of conduct and in the notes to this podcast uh, you'll find a link 
to a uh, survey that uh, has been published and uh, any viewers are in, encouraged to, to, to complete that survey. So coming to how the uh, instrument could, uh, could help policymakers, I think it's important that the First of, first of all, to say that the zero draft includes recommendations that um, a sectorial approach is taken for some some sectors, and I think agriculture um, is a, one of those sectors where it would be important to take a, an approach that is um, uh, directly related to agriculture. Um, the 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 use of plastics in agriculture is very specific. And the solutions and the uh, methods to mitigate the, the potential harms that they produce are specific, and they would probably be best addressed specific away from um, other, you know, managing packaging waste, that sort of thing. Um, I think the instruments should help policymakers to be able to balance the benefits and trade-offs of plastic products compared with their alternatives because uh, currently the the externalities for using plastics are not uh, adequately addressed in most um, regulatory environments and the, the these instruments could help them do that and it would be important that those the mechanism for balancing benefits and trade-offs considers not only the the three dimensions of sustainability environment economic and social um, but also food security and food safety you know, plastics are playing a role there and it's important that those those dimensions of sustainability are, are addressed too yeah and finally uh the code the recommendations from um the fao uh, members was that uh, the organization in, undertakes further invest, uh, assessments of uh, the benefits and trade-offs and distribution and impacts of plastics used in agriculture. Yeah. And given FAO members' interest in undertaking further assessments, what do you perceive as the main knowledge gaps and how do you think they could be best addressed? Okay. Um, well, first of all, I think uh, it's important to say that um, there is a lot of knowledge out there uh, and we know uh, how to mitigate many of the impacts. They've been proven they're working already in, in some countries around the world. So um, because there are knowledge gaps, I don't think those should be used for delaying action. We need to be mindful of the precautionary principle and establish actions that are going to address the, the, the impacts that we know how to deal with. Um, the, the reports that we produced, uh, the, the actions taken by the United Nations, the Environment Assembly and, and FAO, that has spurred the research communities to undertake a huge uh, a body of work. So there's, there are, the amount of papers coming from the research sector uh, has exploded over the last couple of years. Um, so our knowledge is actually improving all the time. Um, so I think what we need to do is to take stock of the, the latest knowledge, do, 
develop a map of of that knowledge so that we can understand what we do know and identify the areas where further work needs to be done and hopefully through the through the instruments um, and through bodies like uh, ECAP, the International Knowledge Hub Against Plastic Pollution and the uh, Scientific Coalition for an Effective Plastics Treaty, through those sorts of bodies, uh, the um, research sector is able to focus on the areas where we, we need to, do, to, um, to fill those knowledge gaps. Um, so, uh, personally, I think the, the knowledge gaps relate around the, um, the effectiveness of alternatives, you know, what traditional practices are being used around the world, how, how effective are they? Um, we need to, um, uh, look at bio-based and biodegradable plastics, as Christina was saying, you know, that we're not certain about how they degrade. And certainly, um, you know, the standards we have at the moment are not applicable to um, all environments. So uh, the, the degradation of a biodegradable plastic in, in Norway mm. is very different from in, in Spain and in Africa, where the, the, the levels of moisture and temperature are, are, are very different and the soils are very different. So we really don't know about that. Uh, we don't know what happens to the um, additives in plastic. So biodegradable plastics include uh, uh, additives, much the same as conventional plastics. What happens to those during the degradation process? So uh, there are gaps there. Uh, they need to be investigated. Uh, we found um, Nanoplastics have been found in organs in the human human body. They've been found in plants, and we don't really know what are the the health impacts of those those nanoplastics. Um, so th those are probably the the main points. I don't know, Christina. Are there any other areas that you think we should uh, th that the key knowledge gaps that we should focus on? Yeah, I think I think we need to, as you say, look at how it was done before. How and, and how had that developed without the plastic? Can we do this without plastic? Because I really think our 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 vision should be plastic free. This is where we should go. But it's a long way, and we still need to produce a lot of food on the way. So so I think right now we should really see if we can what can we cut out of the growing cycle right now that are really bad. And what can we continue sort of, this is okay, we can do that until we find a middle ground where we really can start replacing this plastic with something else. Mm. And then hopefully in 30 years time down the line, we have an agriculture that doesn't depend so heavily on plastic as a major part of the growing cycle. Yeah. And I think it's important to get everyone in, in the game and make everyone comfortable with this change we have to do. Yeah. That I think is, is quite important. So we, we need a lot of, how to say, processes where we talk together yeah. Yeah. And, and bring the best knowledge forward. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, I think that, you know, the, the treaties can also, the treaty and the code of conduct can also help. I think um, they should both establish 
scientific panels so that there is engagement with the scientific community such that uh, scientists can uh, you know, update that knowledge and help the instruments update themselves and be to take account of you know new concerns about uh, additives or uh, changes in the way that plastics plastics are used so uh, that uh, you know much is in the way that the other conventions the other multilateral environmental agreements are updated there is a scientific community that is actually helping keep those uh, conventions alive and relevant mm. And you mentioned earlier that different countries have different conditions and soil conditions, for example. So my next question would be, what specific measures could countries introduce to improve the sustain sustainability of agricultural plastics uh, practices that rely on plastic? Well, yeah, I think we touched upon it slightly here because we need to, to get away from that because plastic, I don't think it would ever be sustainable, unfortunately even though it's bio-based and biodegradable and all of those things. If we be truly bio-based and truly biodegradable in any climate, anywhere, then I think we could use it. But then there will still be the, the chemicals within them. So therefore, I think it's important to, to really look at innovation um, and, and actually financing that to find replacement for, for plastic. What can we use? And that, of course, you need to figure out what kind of soil you have, in, in what climate zone are you, what are you growing? Should you be growing? Exactly that. Should we be growing cotton in a place where it's really dry? Cotton is a very water-intensive intensive crop to grow. Um, so that way, I think it could be interesting to, to look at what we're growing around the world and if it's in an appropriate place. And um, yeah, I think, I think that's it. I lost the plot. So okay. uh, I think you could you can you also need to balance the um, the markets. I think it's important that you know currently there are externalities that are not being included in the or properly focused in in the in the use of plastics. So I think that that's where a you know a regulatory approach has to be adopted so that those externalities are covered and paid for. So, for example, I think countries could establish regulations for um, what plastic products are allowed to be used in their markets, um, who can, who, who sells them, should be licensed, uh, who distributes them, and who uses them. So that, uh, you know, users of plastics need to have the, the capacity to use them in a sustainable way. And that will, work, will require training and, and control through, through licensing. And finally, they need to be managed effectively at their end of life. Uh, so having the, the, the cost of disposal included or end of life management included in the, the in the purchase price of the plastic will that will increase the price of the the product but what it will do it will by by including those externalities and the you know, the costs of um, regulation in the products um, will mean that when the farmer is choosing what practices to use on his farm when he's weighing up the cost of using a plastic film with using uh, a traditional um, bio-based um, biomass mulch for example um, 
he will be comparing like with like because currently if the externalities are not covered then the the price of the plastic is artificially low and no one is taking an account of the um, the pollution the the waste management issues and you know potential pollution and health of health effects so I think that would be a that would be a good stimulus to allow the farmer to compare like with like and that will be a driver for innovation of the sorts of things that Christina was talking about. And there you also, as a consumer, can start helping that choice because you then have two products where you can say, well, this is they are almost the same. I can choose to buy the food that is produced without the plastic. So you start having a choice as well in, in what to. And I think that can be very powerful as well Yes. to show the change that we would like to see. Yeah. And right now, food production is very heavily reliant on plastic products. And let's say we do have restrictions placed on plastic products. How can we still ensure food security? Okay, I think that's a, that's a really really good uh, good question. Uh, and it's a you know it's a question that uh, concerns the agricultural community with a growing population. Um, more food is needed, um, but it doesn't have to come from um growing more material um, growing more more crops i think you know there are issues around uh food loss and waste uh, apparently uh, currently around 40% of all the food that is is produced doesn't get eaten so there are there are ways in which you know, by improving the way that food is uh, distributed and uh, and and sold and managed um we that can be improved. And FAO actually recently, well, a couple of years ago, published a, a voluntary code of conduct on the uh, reduction of food loss and waste. And and you were talking about food security. Yeah. I mean, studies in start indicating now that if we continue using this plastic and we continue accumulating within the soil, our yield is going to go, start going down. Mm-hmm. And probably also has started going down somewhere. So it is not an option to continue the way we have to keep food security. Mm-hmm. It yeah. will not. It will probably not hold up. So. Yeah. Um, and I think, you know, we, we need to be mindful of that the, there are practices uh, around the world, traditional practices that don't rely on plastics mm-hmm. and are effective. And it's important that that knowledge is. Uh, is retained and uh, it's learned about and spread. So uh, it's it's important that the um, the economic advantage, the false economic advantage at the moment of using plastic products, doesn't drive those traditional practices um, away. Mm. And I will also say that those traditional pla- practices they have really evolved and innovated, and new machinery is coming out to to deal with live mulch. So, so they are viable, and they, they, I think, they have a potential. Maybe not in all corners of the world, because we have different climates, different, you know, starting point, growing season. But in places where they can be used, I definitely think there should be yeah. an intent to use it, yeah. or some a carrot or a stick mm-hmm. to make people actually yeah. benefit. It also will help the soil health, which is also a problem, not just from plastic, but most of our soils are um, degenerated. Mm. We're losing a lot of topsoil. And if we go back to having that soil covered all the time, we will reduce that process heavily. 
which is also an advantage. So I think there's a lot of things we can do together, which will help the plastic, but will also help the soil. And and the sorts of measures that we're talking about, you know, where we can drive innovation, there will be new technologies and uh, new techniques that that uh, will be developed that should cover the, the food security yeah. issue. And earlier, you also mentioned the cost of externalities. Um, how do you think that could work, and how could it be recovered? Okay, um, so I think the uh, the cost of regulation, I think you know that that would cover come from you know license fees for for the different actors and license fees for for the products that come introduced onto the market, and uh, you know that could be recovered by by government. The, those fees go to government, and that then they can be used for the all the enforcement action that would be necessary to control the plastics that are coming onto the market and how they're used. Um, for the waste management at uh, the end of life, um, typically um, uh, a concept of extended producer responsibility has proven to be effective. And in fact, the, the, dra the first zero draft of mm -hmm. the International Legally Binding Instrument includes um, Con the concept of extended producer responsibility. And basically what, what uh, that is, is that the producer of the product has the responsibility for the um, environmental management of their product at the end, end of life. Um, now, in agriculture, what has been proven to be successful there is that um, basically government sets a mandatory legal responsibility on the on the supply chain so on the producers the manufacturers of the products distributors uh, and the users for the uh, collection of the uh, waste at, at the end of its life um, so government sets the responsibility but it's actually the supply chain that implements it and by doing so they're able to do so uh, their interest is in, to keep that as effective and, and efficient as possible. So by doing that, they're able to keep the cost down, deliver an effective system, which means that the costs to, to farmers are, um, are, are, are held within reasonable bounds. On, on that point, I also think that can spark a innovation cycle between the service people and the farmers to produce exactly that product that will be good for its purpose on the field, be easy to, not easy, but be easy to roll up and dispose of. So we don't get these really, really thin material that might do the job, but they're cheap, yeah. but we can't roll them up again and we can't recycle them. So I think I think that point is quite important that, that we get yeah. that communication between service and the service companies to the farmers and they can start having a dialogue of, of what is the farmer's problem and what is the and how can the service companies help them i think that's an i think that's an in interesting thing yes and i think that can be sparked by that little extra amount of money that the yeah and i think company that, has. that is you know there are examples of that actually happening in in france where there is a a, a well established uh, a, um, extended producer responsibility scheme called adivalor 
Uh, they have, you know, they identified the problem that Christina mentioned of the, the, the highly contaminated mulch films, you know, when it brought up from the, uh, taken up from the ground, it's covered in soil, plant residues and moisture. And, uh, you know, because of this issue, they started working with the manufacturers of equipment and uh, helped to design a, a, a machine for dealing with specifically with carrots, um, where there was a heavily um, a lot of heavily contaminated mulch, and that they this machine actually reduced the the levels of contamination, so that the plastic was much cleaner and therefore had a was much more easily recycled and had a, a higher value. Uh, that would also have a benefit. You know, keeping the plant residues on the farm will mean that there will be more biomass on the farm that can be used for uh, traditional mulching practices and, and other things. And return back into the soil, yeah. yeah. That's a good example, definitely. Yeah. Let's see if we can replicate that around the world. Yeah, some great examples. Um, agricultural plastics are incentivized a lot in developing countries to address the aspect of increased population, to feed this growing population and adapt to the, also the negative effects of climate change that we see today and also on agriculture. So what do you think emerging economies can do to avoid the errors of countries that have used these materials already for a long time? And how do you think private sector and farmers can help in this case? I let me let me take that. <laughs> I think, you know, as Christina has already um, um, emphasized, you know the potential damage that poor quality uh, products used badly are going to have on food, uh, on soils and the capacity of soils to deliver food uh, sustainably. So I think you know the. The things that the that developing countries should be doing are very similar to what is being done uh, elsewhere. So I think it's important that the the products that they allow to be used in their countries are of an appropriate standard that they can be used safely. Um, you know, using very thin mulching films that eventually are going to end up in the soil. That's not going to help long term for the food security in, in those countries. So having uh, established standards for products, uh, ensuring that they are they're used effectively with uh, licensed users, etc. Um, and um, I think uh, it's important that you know these countries allow the farmers to make the choice on uh, of what practices they use. So providing them with subsidized, plastic products is only going to stimulate the continued use of plastics and it's potentially going to drive out the traditional practices that are being used in those countries that are, that are not reliant on plastic. Um, I think it's important that the, that the, the, the farmers are able to make the decisions about what materials they use, how they farm, based on the, the real costs. So it in, um, internalizing all those external costs is important and helping those traditional practices flourish and expand. So there will be education. It's important that farmers are brought along in this process um, and that you know they understand the potential downsides of, of using these of using plastics unsustainably. 
but you know, the continue where it, where they can be used sustainably, that continues. But then the management needs to be uh, at a level that is not causing any long term harm. And I also think before you start putting them out on the field, you need to kind of make a self check if you have the ability to actually recycle and recover it. And then maybe, as you say, don't give subsidies to plastic, but maybe you can get subsidies to seeds that can do to be a cover crop instead. Mm. That would be a different alternative if that's possible. Yeah. So really, if you don't, if you can't handle the waste that's going to come from it, and, and we have problems in, in our part of the world, so don't put it out in the first place, yeah. I would say. So. And there are, there are agricultural techniques like you know agroecology that uh, growing the right plants in the in the right place and intercropping or there are all sorts of techniques that can be used to maintain yields and minimize the the inputs that you have to 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 add to the fields. Well, I think it's important that we have a really good network of of knowledge mm-hmm. to be shared. I mean, north, south, 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 yep. east, west, all the way around, because we are facing the same problems. We just have a lot in, in the developed world. We have a lot of plastic in our agricultural soil, and we need to change, and it will be good to avoid that happening in in developing world. But, yeah, some of the developing world also have plastic in their soil. Yeah, It's important to work together. In your personal opinion, uh, is the use of plastics in agriculture sustainable in the long run? I think we sort of <laughs> indicated that maybe not. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Unless we can find that perfect plastic that is fully biodegradable, made on bio material and doesn't have any chemicals in it. Other than that, I think my personal view at least is that we'll need to be clever enough to produce as much food as needed without yeah. I think covering that covering our fields in plastic. I think we're gonna to need to, as Christina said, we're gonna to need to wean ourselves off plastic. So it, it it'll be a gradual process. So uh, I'm sure you know plastics will be uh, uh, an impact an important part will be part of agriculture in in the short term. Yeah, but with the with the measures that we've discussed during this podcast, hopefully innovation will be driven to identify more sustainable practices which will gradually be replace the use the use of plastics. Um, so in in the medium term there will be be some plastics, but ultimately um, I don't think plastics will be a feature in uh, in agriculture in the in the very long term. Mm. Especially not now. And I think that would be the benefit for us as as humankind to get out of that plastic circle in in any part of our interaction with the environment. Unfortunately, but as Richard said, it's important to. We're not saying that we have to do this tomorrow. It will be definitely a gradual process. I mean, we need to produce food. Mm. It took a long, it took a long time to from 1950s to come up to the level we have now on use of plastic, and I think it's going to take time to go back again and get used to having more people on the farm. I think we need that. We need more people out in agriculture to do some of that manual labor. But I think also we can get new machinery that can that can do some of that as well. So it's a long process of of innovating, figuring things out, having conversations, talking together, making sure that farmers, they dare 
change their way because they have at at the end of the day they, this is their livelihood that's what pay the rent or buy the farm or all of yeah. that and you want to have the best yield and you want to do the best for your plants mm. right because that's what it's all about yeah but yeah it's it's going to be engagement by you know all the stakeholders in the agricultural community and in the scientific community and a lot to, of yeah, and a lot of knowledge sharing and not being scared of trying and then failing so we need also kind of a support system because there will be failings yeah in these ones as well yes so but i'm pretty optimistic <laughs> i'm optimistic too I mean, look at the world we sit in. We have invented quite a bit of things, so I yeah. think we can invent our way out of this one as well. Yeah, it's important to stay optimistic. So yeah. It is. So. Thank you, Richard, and thank you, Christina, uh, for sharing your expert view on this important topic um, and giving us insights on how humanity can move on to ensure efficient and reliable food production while limiting the addition of microplastics in agricultural soils. ECAP will continue to follow the development of science and policy in this field, as usual, through the critical lens of experts and researchers. And I thank you, our guests and the audience, for staying with us today. Thank you.